Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Winning Cures Everything. Now for your hosts, Gary and Chris. Welcome in, Winning Cures Everything. It is the Monday, July 11th edition of the show. I'm your host, Gary Seegers. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. Uh, let me go ahead and tell you, I will get the intro changed. I know that Chris is no longer here, and you guys, if you've watched the show over the past month or so, uh, understand that to be the case as well. I will get the different things, the ads and whatnot fixed. I'm going to Vegas later this week, so I won't be doing it this week. But we'll be knocking that out very, very soon. No college football previews today. We're going to start breaking those off into different segments. So, since this show is at 7 p.m. on Monday night... The Big 12 Part 1 previews will be on Tuesday night on uh, July July 12th at 7 p.m. And, uh, of course, the podcast will come out the next morning. That's the way that we'll start running things around here. And so you will have four shows a week instead of two. They're going to be shorter, basically cut in half. That way we're not going to be running an hour and 20 minutes per show just to knock out some college football previews. So uh, that is the plan going forward on that little bit of programming news to get us started here on Monday, we got a lot to discuss. Of course, there is the Zach Wilson memes that have been absolutely hilarious on Twitter. I have enjoyed those thoroughly. I don't know if you've seen what's been going on. Apparently, Zach Wilson, the quarterback for the New York Jets, he's former quarterback for the BYU Cougars. He, apparently, uh, his ex-girlfriend accused him of sleeping with one of his mom's best friends. So, obviously, everybody has jumped in with the Zach Wilson cougar jokes, which has been a lot of fun here, of course. Uh, So, if you have not seen those, you need to go over to Twitter and check those out because they are absolutely hysterical. Just good, good stuff. Let's go ahead and dive into our first topic of the day, and that would be that we could be nearing the end of... Expansion Talk. And we'll start off with an article from Matt Hayes over at Saturday Down South. And it says that his sources tell him SEC wants to end expansion race and stay at 16 teams. Now, the first line of this says the preference of SEC presidents is to not expand beyond 16 teams. Multiple industry sources tell Saturday Down South. Said we're positioned at 16 teams for a robust future. The need just isn't there. Now, it does say potential future moves on the expansion front could change that need, two SEC sources say, but conference presidents believe the SEC is positioned well for the future growth of college football. And, you know, another source told him that I don't see any expansion move as threatening to us. They were asked about Notre Dame coming uh, to the Big Ten. Would that be threatening? And that source said, why? I'll put our product against anyone's product, so we're just going to add schools to add schools. There's no value in that. This is something, if you've been following me on Twitter, 
I've been talking about for a little while now, and that is uh, you are quickly approaching diminishing returns on a per-school basis when you start just trying to add a bunch of teams. The schools right now are making a ton of money. Uh, One of the notes that is in here talks about the difference from 20 years ago to this year. In 2002, the SEC distributed $95.7 million in media rights revenue to its 12 schools. That's $7.97 million per school for one season. In 2022, that number was $777.8 million for 14 schools. That's $55.5 million per. They are getting close to $100 million per school once Texas and Oklahoma join. Who else is going to bring the value of Texas and Oklahoma? Does Clemson really bring that? Does Florida State bring that? I I don't know that I believe that. Yeah, it would make for some juicier matchups, but you can still schedule those non-conference. There's a way to to actually enhance your brand by not going further than what you've already gone. You almost had to bring in Texas and Oklahoma because if you didn't, they were going to go somewhere else. The conference that they were in was not getting the kind of media rights deals that the SEC or the Big Ten was getting. They were going to go somewhere. So you really don't have an option at that point. But when you start talking about some of these other schools, yes, I've said that the crown jewel for the SEC would be North Carolina. Uh, they check all the boxes. But you're still getting to a point where maybe they don't bring in as much value as what it would cost on a per-school basis for those kind of TV contracts. Like, there is a bubble. There is a, a certain limit that you can get to where it no longer makes sense for you to bring in some of these other schools. Another thing that was brought up here, I'm going to bring this article back up, there is value in keeping the keeping the college football world a little bit split up. Having everybody have a seat at the table, the message is clear, is what it says here. College football is better with all involved. Uh, Greg Sankey, or another SEC source, said we talk about value all the time. Well, there's great value in college football as a whole. Uh, I don't think any of us in any conference can ignore that. There's too much empirical data that shows it. I mean, Greg Sankey said that the preference of SEC presidents is a playoff that includes all of FBS. So all this stuff that we have talked about here on the show and elsewhere about the idea of just an SEC and Big Ten playoff, yeah, it's still out there. It's still a possibility. Is it what everybody wants? No, because what you do when you lock out more than half of the country as far as FBS schools are concerned, there's no value. They don't care to watch your games anymore. They're going to watch the games that revolve around or that include them, that there is some importance to what they do. Washington State fans and Washington fans are still going to watch USC play Ohio State because they could end up playing them in a playoff or in a bowl game or something along those lines. They are still somewhat connected. It's it's going to be interesting to see what this landscape looks like going forward. But I think that we've begun to reach a point where the expansion is going to slow down again. The Big Ten was put in a similar situation that the SEC was put in. With USC and UCLA, it was the same as Oklahoma and uh, Texas. They were going to go somewhere. If you did not take them, somebody else was going to. So why not just go ahead and handle that? And now you've got 16. You've 
got your conference spread across, but who else brings the same value that those brands do? And I don't know that there is anybody else out there. We can talk about Oregon. We can talk about Stanford. Notre Dame is, of course, the great white whale, but Notre Dame is not going to go to a conference. They're in a much better position even now to stay independent than they were before. Now, a lot of this hinges on what ends up happening with the playoff after 2025, but I mean, we still got three years. We still got a little ways to go. So I would not worry about this for quite some time, but it, it, this will take us over to our next topic that we're going to discuss, and that is that the Pac-12, with all the different rumors that have gone around, looks like the Pac-12 might be staying put. Now, this article over at uh, SI, this is Kirby Lee with USA Today Sports. It's, uh, it's part of, uh, or excuse me, excuse me, this is uh, Kevin Borba. Now, he said uh, the 10 remaining Pac-12 schools are expected to stick together, even with all of the other rumors of other conferences like the Big 12 and the ACC looking to poach Pac-12 schools, there is an expectation that they stick together. This is basically from John Canzano, right? John Canzano, who's a Pac-12 insider, he knows everything that there is to know about everything. He expressed his own confidence in the conference, and that's based on sources. Said the talk about the Big 12 conference poaching Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado is dramatically overstated. I don't blame the Big 12 for angling and dreaming about possibly adding a Pac-12 university. I don't blame conference universities for making a contingency plan, but I'm convinced that the Pac-12's remaining 10 members are galvanized right now. What makes it more interesting? Canzano asked two anonymous athletic directors from the Pac-12 about how they felt in regards to the chances of the conference remaining intact, and they both expressed more confidence than the rest of the country. Uh, While one of them said they were confident, the other added a little tease as a part of their statement, saying, feel very confident, and we have good options. Now, I don't know if that necessarily means that they are looking at adding more schools, or if that means that they are looking at at just staying at 10, and that the TV money is going to come in, because you these TV networks are still going to need inventory. You forget that there's FS1, CBS Sports Network, CBS, NBC, uh, all the streaming channels, etc. They all want to be involved in live streaming, in live sports, because it's the only thing that anybody really watches live anymore. So if you are going to be able to get some kind of a deal that would pay more than what you already make, or even the same as you're already making, remember they made about $20 million last year. That was down from $33 million per school the year before. If you can still stay in that 20 to 25 range, do you have to do anything? Like, would it be considerably more if you were to go join with the Big 12 or if you were to do some kind of an expansion deal with the ACC? Probably not. Uh, I, I don't think that just going and moving across the country and setting up to where you have to travel some crazy distances just to play ball games is going to change the amount of money that you're going to make. It would make more sense to stay regional and just continue to move along at the same pace that you are. No, you're not going to make the same as the Big 12 school, or excuse me, the Big 10 schools or the SEC schools. You're just not. But is there anything that you can do that will enhance your university? Because if you do move and say you join with the ACC, uh, okay, so if you were going to get $25 million per school to stay by yourself, you could move to $30 million per school to go join the ACC. What is the benefit all that travel 
all the different troubles that you're going to have to go through to make that work, is it worth the extra $5 million per year? Like, at the end of the day, money is not everything, right? I, I think we can all agree on this. Uh, there are other topics that go along with this. David Hale, of course, ACC insider for ESPN, he said, uh, adding new teams or opening up the TV contract for the ACC would not void the existing grant of rights. They are separate documents. If new teams join the ACC, they would have to sign the same grant of rights as everyone else. Same for departing teams unless more than 50% leave. This is a big, big thing because uh, this thing runs through 2036, right? Uh, 14 years from now, the ACC owns the broadcast rights for all of their members until then. This is a huge obstacle. Like You're going to have to get every single... You're going to have to get more than 50% of the teams, so 8 out of the 14, to agree to tear up these grant of rights so that they can go and try and make more money elsewhere. And I don't think that there's 8 teams... That would be able to do that. I think what the ACC has right now is actually pretty decent. It's a good deal for ESPN, and for the majority of the ACC, it's a good deal for them as well. If you're the Pac-12 or any of those schools that are remaining, do you want to go join the ACC in this merger of sorts and join in to where you get your rights locked away for another 14 years after you've already seen all the mess that's going on? I don't think so. I think staying put is probably... Your best option here, I, that that grant of rights is such a huge thing, such a huge thing. And as far as the the merger between those two, uh, Brandon Marcello said this. Jason Shear from uh, Wildcat Authority, he has uh, has talked about this. Um, he said predicts an ACC partnership. Wouldn't be surprising if that happens, only because it's the worst option. Um, you know. He, he's been all over this as far as different meetings from Arizona joining the Big 12, etc. But Brandon Marcello said, every ACC administrator I've talked to this week is wary of the idea of a Pac-12 partnership adding any value to the ACC, and at best, a couple are indifferent. But nothing on paper has, pre- uh, has been presented yet to membership. I don't foresee that becoming a thing. I don't think there's enough money out there. Like, right, it, this... Doesn't that seem the same to all of you? And I would love for you to join me in the comments on YouTube. I want to know what you think. Uh, or jump in the chat or whatever if you're watching the show live. But I, I'm curious. All of these different moves, a Big 12, Pac-12 merger, or the Big 12 taking in four Pac-12 schools, or uh, the ACC taking in six of the, AC, or of the Pac-12 schools, what does that add to a television contract? Like, maybe you can find a way to make the ACC network work, and that would be different. I don't know that the Pac-12 would have to sign a grant of rights in order for that to happen, but ESPN could maybe use that in their leverage with the Pac-12 to set up some kind of a new TV contract, et cetera, to where it would make more sense, right? Where you don't have to have them on ESPN+, Plus, or you don't have to have them on one of your main broadcast channels more frequently, you could have them on the ACC network, which would then turn into uh, whatever you want to call it, the coast-to-coast network or the whatever sports network. There's a way to do that because the ACC network as it stands right now, not super profitable, not great. That's There are ways to work around this, but I don't foresee a lot of additional expansion coming along. That's the way that I see it going right now. Uh, it was fun with all the rumors and everything else, but... 
moving conferences is a humongous deal. Now, obviously, it was huge for UCF and Cincinnati and Houston and BYU to be able to jump up to the Big 12 because that's another step up the ladder. But those four schools were never going to be invited to the Big 10 or the SEC. You're still moving around in the underbelly, which I know sounds ridiculous, but that's that's where you're moving around is you're you're going between conferences that are not going to make a ton of money anyway compared to what the two biggest conferences are going to make. So it's all kind of negligible. It it doesn't necessarily matter. Now, it did matter for UCF and them because you could be jumping from $7 million a year up to, who knows, $20 million? $15 million? I mean, you, at, at least you will be doubling your income from your sports rights, your media rights. So that's uh, that's a fairly fairly big deal. Let's hit one more, and then we'll hit some uh, some ads right quick. And then uh, I've got some interesting stuff after that. But this topic here is interesting to me. UCF has signed a deal with Playfly uh, for 13 years, $125 million. And that is a multimedia rights agreement. Uh, now, this is, you know, very interesting. It's almost $10 million a year. It's $9.62 million per year. And I went and had to look up the Playfly, like exactly what they are. It's a multimedia partnership, right? And this is what their website says. Playfly Premier Partnerships is an industry-leading sports marketing agency specializing in sponsorship uh, sales representation and consulting. Founded in 2003, Playfly Premier Partnerships has earned a track record of success through accurately valuing commercial assets, crafting winning sales strategies, and facilitating partnerships that benefit properties and sponsors alike. Since its founding, Playfly Premier Partnerships has secured marquee partnerships across the sports and entertainment landscape, ranging from venue naming rights, jersey kit partnerships, title sponsorships, and other high-profile sponsorship platforms. Now, UCF is not the first that they've done. There are multiple teams. Uh, Let's see their sports properties here. You can see some of the teams that they are already working with. LSU, Virginia, Maryland, Auburn, uh, Michigan State, Georgetown in basketball, USC, Villanova in basketball, uh, Florida, New Mexico, etc. Right? They've got to deal with the Big Ten, with the Big East, with the Pac-12. They, they've got a lot of deals already set up. This one's a monster one, though, because of the market in which UCF is in and the fact that they're moving up to a bigger uh, conference, etc. UCF is getting a huge deal. And this multimedia rights deal also would have to do with like naming shows and stuff like that. Like it, not just naming shows, but but presenting different shows. From what I've been told, uh, all those different channels that we have talked about before, where universities are getting into these streaming networks, they're going to have their own channels. Basically, where you, you're a fan of the school, you're an alum of the school, you want to pay five bucks per month or whatever, and you're going to have uh, exclusive podcasts behind-the-scenes stuff, etc., that's all going to be part of this as well. And Playfly is giving them almost $10 million a year over 13 years for this. This is huge because the media rights that UCF is bringing in from the American Athletic Conference right now is about $7 million a year. So you're making more off of this than you are off of the rights to your games. 
That is mind-blowing to me. I mean, the amount of money that they are getting here is huge. So props to UCF for getting this done uh, because this is a huge, huge deal. Like, I, I love what they're doing here. I think it's fantastic. Um, congrats to UCF. Congrats for sure on that. Now, with that said, let's go ahead and hit some ads, and then we'll jump back with a little bit on Hugh Freeze, and then we're going to go over some top returning receivers as far as PPA is concerned coming into the 2021 season. Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, our gambling picks, our store, the gear we use, and more. Subscribe to us on YouTube to get not only the full shows, but individual segments along with other goodies as well. We're over 5,600 subscribers right now, and our goal by the end of football season is 7,500. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. You can visit winningcureseverything.com slash store and see what all we've added. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said done. And now, back to the show. All right, let's talk about Hugh Freeze for just a minute. And, man, we talked quite a bit after the 2020 season, and then some last year, after the 2021 season, about all these different bigger name schools, Auburn specifically, but also I think we talked to UCF, uh, we talked a couple other ones, where wouldn't Hugh Freeze be a good fit there, right? And we could never figure out because there was never any fire around it. It was just fan talk. It was just rumors. It was, hey, wouldn't this be a good fit? And, you know, you go to a smaller school after you've had stuff like what he had happen at Ole Miss, and you would think that you'd find a way to clean up your act, and maybe then you could work your way back up the ladder because there's no doubt that he is a fantastic football coach. Just absolutely fantastic coach. He has been able to make it work at Liberty. But I know that there are some at Auburn. There were some at Tennessee as well, I mean, et cetera, that wanted him to be their head coach. But this latest example is a big reason why he is not even getting a sniff for any of those kinds of jobs. Chelsea Andrews was a student at Liberty University. And she was sexually assaulted. She sued the school because the school tried to cover it up, etc. And she won the case. 
Now, I don't know the full details about it. Uh, apparently, there's a podcast and a show and whatnot about everything that had been going on at Liberty. But she tweeted this out over the weekend and said, why is the head football coach at Liberty University DMing me during and after my lawsuit with Liberty at almost midnight when I did not tag him and I have not responded to the other DMs he has sent over the months, publicly naming so he can see that I do not want direct contact with him. And you see here a screenshot where Hugh Freeze sent her a direct message and said, you don't even know Ian McCall. He is the most Jesus-like leader I have dot, 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 right? You, you don't see the full message, but you can see that he has reached out to her. Ian McCall is the athletic director at Liberty. Ian McCall was the athletic director at Baylor before this, and he was, of course, let go or he resigned or whatever the situation was because of all of the sexual assault that was going on on campus in Waco. Now he's at Liberty, and there are some of the same things happening there. This is cringy and creepy, but it is not the first time that Hugh Freeze has gone into somebody's DMs because he does this often. Anybody, This is a man that Googles his own name. He does a Twitter search for his own name or for his school, etc., because you don't even have to tag him and he will send you direct messages. I know multiple media members that have gotten direct messages from him, and and fans alike. There are a lot of fans that have stated stuff and not tagged him, just put his name in a tweet, which means he had to go search for it to be able to find it. But they will say something about him, and he will come back at them, or he will tell them thank you, or he will... You know, he he cannot stop himself from having a direct conversation with people and if you're a head football coach, you have got to be able to do that, especially if you were going to be in one of the bigger conferences. At Liberty, like Hugh Freeze is a big enough name that, of course, there are going to be people talking about him, especially if your team is good. If your team is good, there's going to be a lot of people talking about it. I would hate to see what it would look like when he does not have a good football team and people are trashing him and his coaching style, et cetera, and what he would actually say to those people. But this situation... uh, I mean, this is a regular occurrence, and it's been going on forever. You should go listen to Stephen Godfrey over on the Split Zone Duo podcast because he brings this up pretty regularly. I can't wait to hear what he's got to say about this one because, man, this is this is something else. I will say that. This is something else. Uh, this is a big difference, right, between him and Lane Kiffin and what Lane Kiffin does with Twitter. We talked about whether or not Lane Kiffin would be able to get some bigger jobs because of the amount of quote-unquote fun that he has on Twitter. But it's completely different. Like, he's he's still somewhat tame. He just does a lot of corny things that are very entertaining on Twitter. Hugh Freeze does not do that. Hugh Freeze, I'm not going to say that Hugh Freeze attacks people. I am going to say that uh, reaching out to somebody that was involved in a lawsuit against your university where you work especially somebody that has accused uh, sexual assault, probably not in your best interest to come at them and tell them that they don't even know Ian McCall um, or anything like that. There's no need to defend somebody that is in a lawsuit, etc. Like, all you're doing is getting yourself involved in the conversation, and that does nothing for you. 
It does nothing for the victim or the alleged victim. It does nothing for your AD. Why on earth would you continue trying to do this? And when somebody writes an article about you, what good does it do for you to go and try and have a conversation with them about what you think is wrong with the article? Like, there's nothing that you can do to win in this situation, and yet he does it time and time again, and he's been doing it for as long as I can remember, since when he began at Ole Miss, really. Uh, Again, Hugh Freeze is a fantastic football coach, but this is the exact reason why he is not getting a sniff from some of these bigger jobs. It's going to take a long time before he ever gets a shot at something bigger than Liberty. And... I, I mean, you keep doing stuff like this, and even Liberty might have to take a long look at what's going on here. So I'm curious to see what ends up happening, but, man, I mean, that is that is something else. Hugh Freeze, brother, quit having the Twitter fingers, man. Come on, I'm, I'm reaching out to you. I'm talking to you. You got to stop doing this kind of crap. Good gracious. All right, we'll close out today's show with some... Interesting stuff I found. Today, we're going to go over the top 10 PPA receivers that are returning for the 2022 season in the Power 5. Now, we'll do G5 uh, later on this week, but this is... I found this to be interesting, so I'm hoping that you do as well. I'm curious your thoughts. Reach out on YouTube in the comment section or just to hit me up on Twitter, at GaryWCE. But we're going to go on and pull this up. I've got two different tables here that we're going to look at. The returning receivers as far as PPA per play, these are the guys that are basically the most valuable receivers that score more often, that are able to get you more. Their plays are worth more on a per-play basis, right? And we'll start off with, let's start off with number 10 here, down at the bottom. Uh, Parker Washington, wide receiver at Penn State, had 81 countable plays where he touched the ball. Uh, His PPA was .93, so not quite a point uh, predicted every time he touched the ball. Parker Washington's fantastic. Now, if he's got a quarterback that can actually get him the ball, that's going to be something serious. So you got to hope that Sean Clifford stays healthy this year. Zay Flowers, wide receiver at Boston College. Uh, As long as Phil Dracovich is healthy this year, I think you're going to see his countable plays go up. He had 59 last year. I think you're going to see a lot more of him at BC in his final season there. Marshawn Ford, the tight end at number seven, excuse me, at number eight, at Louisville. Like it, Malik Cunningham likes to rely on his tight end. He can also run the ball, etc. He does have some wide receivers that he will be rolling with this year. But 55 catches there, uh, nearly one point predicted per attempt there. I think you're going to see a lot of Marshawn Ford. Number seven is Mitchell Tinsley. Now, he was at Western Kentucky. Obviously, Zach Kitley leaves to head over to Texas Tech. Bailey Zapp, of course, gets drafted in the NFL. Mitchell Tinsley heads over to Penn State. Penn State is the only school on here that has two in the top ten. If Clifford is healthy, and if he has improved at all in his last season, the first time that he will have ever had the same offensive coordinator in back-to-back seasons, by the way, uh, you're going to see a lot of Mitchell Tinsley along with Parker Washington, I do believe. Virginia. Everybody knows about Brennan Armstrong. Everybody knows about their tight end that they had last year. But Dontavian Wicks is the guy that really generated the most points for him. Uh, 86 countable plays and .966 predicted points added per play on that. Uh, Virginia, I mean, they got weapons. 
The issue, of course, for Virginia is going to be their offensive line, but we'll we'll see exactly what goes on with that. Number five, Xavier Hutchinson, a uh, wide receiver at Iowa State. Hunter Deckers is going to love having him. Um, this, you know, we'll see what he is, but he is he was fantastic last season. Seventy three countable plays there. I think we'll see more of him because they lost a ton of playmakers from last year's team. Isaiah Nair went from Wyoming over to Texas, and I think you see why he's number four on this list. Uh, 57 countable plays. Wyoming loved to run the football. When you had a stud like this at wide receiver, you should have been getting him the ball at almost every opportunity that you could. Texas will be able to use him quite a bit. Of course, there is Worthy, the wide receiver, over there as well. If Quinn Ewers is any good, Nayer is going to be awesome in that offense. Number three is Cedric Tillman. He and Hennon Hooker have been lights out together. 84 countable plays for Cedric Tillman. Uh, over one point predicted per play on this uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba of course of course everybody knows that you saw what he did in the Rose Bowl you saw what he was able to do all of last season really even with uh, Olave and Wilson etc you still had 109 plays for him that that were countable where he was able to uh, get predicted points added there and then finally number one Jacob Cowing he is transferred over to Arizona from UTEP countable plays 70 I think you're going to see a lot more passing plays at Arizona, especially if you got somebody like Jaden Delora throwing you the ball. Uh, Arizona's offense has got some studs on it. They have got some players. Uh, I mean, one almost one and a half points per play on this predicted. I mean, he is so valuable, so valuable. And then we'll look at this. This is Power Five returning receivers total PPA. So basically, what you're looking at is who who makes the most plays overall right? Like it may not be the same per average or per play on average, but what you've got is who can you count on the most, right? Who makes the most big plays? Number one, of course, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, Number two is Jordan Addison. Now he had 130 countable plays, 115 total PPA here. Uh, Jacob Cowing is three in this one. Cedric Tillman is four. You already saw those. A.T. Perry at Wake Forest, at absolute stud wide receiver, for Sam Hartman and that Dave Clawson offense. Josh Downs is number six uh, at North Carolina. He had 140, the most plays on this list, on this top 10 list. Number seven, Dontavian Wicks. We talked about him. Jaden Reed at Michigan State had 95 plays and had 81.375 average PPA overall. Um, you've got Parker Washington at nine, and then you've got Xavier Hutchinson at Iowa State. Uh, you already had those two on the list above. These guys are going to be the studs. They're going to be your most valuable players coming into this season. They've already proven it, basically. You already know what you got there. So these are the guys that I would look out for coming into this season. And we're going to have the G5 version of this later on. I believe on Thursday's show. Uh, Probably while I'm flying over Las Vegas. I'll probably have to record this one early. But regardless, on Thursday's show, we'll be knocking out the G5 version of this. And there are some studs absolute studs. Uh, Go look at it, Houston. Go look at it, UTSA. Go look at Charlotte. Charlotte. That's just a little little precursor for you. All right, that is going to wrap up today's show. You guys have been fantastic. Let me remind you, we will have a show on Tuesday night that is the Big 12 Preview Part 1. We're going to go over the five top teams in the standings from last season. That's Oklahoma State all the way down to Kansas State. So tune in on YouTube at 7 p.m., and then, of course, the podcast will be out the next morning. With that said, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel. Tell your friends about it. 
and jump into the comments. I would love to hear your thoughts on all these different topics that we have discussed for today. With that said, you guys take care of yourself, take care of each other, and hopefully, hopefully, all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to the Winning Cures Everything podcast. The website is winningcureseverything.com, and if you want to connect with us, we're on Twitter, at GaryWCE, at ChrisBGiannini, at Winning Cures, or you can email us, Gary at winningcureseverything.com, or Chris at winningcureseverything.com. Subscribe everywhere you need to subscribe, and we'll see you soon. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.